Guys, before we start on this week's episode of the show, we have something to tell you about our new sponsor, PowerTap. PowerTap has a way for you to win a brand new power meter, free of cost. Whoa, totally free. Uh, Kaylee, uh, tell the good listeners a little bit more about this sweepstakes. Well, dear listeners, because we love you so much and because PowerTap loves you so much, you can go to powertap.com slash velonews, sign up for a newsletter, and you're entered to win a free power meter. Automatically, that's all you gotta do. Put in your email, entered to win, just like that. Can I choose? Can I choose which one I get? You can choose any power tap Whoa. power meter, and they make like 900 different kinds of them. So, <laughs> yeah, you can you can have them mounted to your pedals. You can have the hub power meter. Um, do Chain they rings? Yeah, do they have one that mounts to your soul? <laughs> you know what? I want one. I, I want one mounted to the handlebar. That way, if it's arm day, you can kind of keep track. There you go. Uh-huh. Um, now, Kaylee, it sounds like the cool thing about these power meters is their accuracy. They're extremely accurate. That is correct. Uh, according to third-party testing, PowerTap is accurate down to 1.5%, which is actually a bit better than most of their competitors, which which mostly claim about 2%. Mm-hmm. So yeah, super accurate power meter. Uh, could be yours absolutely free. All you got to do is go to powertap.com slash velonews, put in an email, automatically entered, just like that. Thanks, PowerTap. On with the show. We're back, we're back, we're back. We have a very special post Giro d'Italia episode of the Velo News podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, editor in chief of Velo News, and I'm joined in the room by Kaylee Fretz, senior editor of Velo News, and Spencer. You're back from Canada. Hey, I'm back. Did hey. you did you learn any like fun Canadian slang? Uh, just uh, you kind of need to add in the word "sorry" every sorry. time you say something. So did, did sorry, you, sorry for not having any better vocab for you. Did you eat any wonderful Canadian delicacies? Any yeah, Tim had Hortons? some had some poutine. Mm. Had some Ooh. Tim Hortons. Yep. Uh, ate a little dirt, you know, uh, <laughs> just the usual. Uh, guys, we need to get into it today. We have a little postmortem discussion about the Giro d'Italia, which was won this past weekend by Tom Dumoulin, the butterfly of Maastricht. Mm. God, we've got to get a better it name than that. It means two windmills in French, actually. Two windmills? Yep. Mm, well, sort you know. of. Double I mean, windmill. What does it mean? Double windmill. It means you're <laughs> really good at time trialing. Oh, my gosh. It's so beautiful. Uh, we have to talk about the upcoming Hammer series. The, hammer. I know. The much-awaited Hammer series. What will it be? We don't know. It's Hammer time. It's Hammer time. Yeah. Uh, we have the Presented Dol- by MC Hammer. Yeah. Stop. Hammer time. Or maybe. Oh, man. Just Lit- a suggestion. Limitless. Marketing suggestion. Limitless Hammer could probably use a little money right now. Maybe there, this is his opportunity yeah. to cash in on pro cycling. There a lot of money. A lot of money. Multiple uses of the MC Hammer Hammer time. Can't touch this. Yeah. No. Can't touch this. In uh, this episode. L- limitless sponsorship opportunities for the Hammer series. Mm. Uh, we have the Dauphiné coming up. Yes. Little Tour de France predictor. We have, uh, I think, Richie Porte, Alberto Contador, and Chris Froome will be doing battle on the roads of France. Mm. And uh, finally, we have wacky news in- involving local cyclist Danny Summerhill, who may or may not have like shot a gun into a hillside. I don't know. I think he did. Yeah. <laughs> I think he admitted to it. <laughs> oh, jeez. Bad times on that one. Yeah. Um, anyway, and finally, we have a, a great interview Spencer did with Katerina Nash, uh, veteran mountain biker, cyclocross racer. You caught up with her a few weeks ago. She's on a tear in the domestic circuit winning epic rides races. Uh, What can you tell us about that uh, interview? Yeah, Fred, I caught up with Katerina at Sea Otter Classic 
And um, we all know her for her exploits as a cross-country mountain bike racer, going to Olympic Games and um, uh, World Championships, very highly decorated um, mountain bike racer. And she, uh, this year, is going to mix it up a little and do some more longer-distance races like these Epic Rides races. So she just won the Grand Junction off-road race here in Colorado. And uh, this interview is uh, just kind of a wide-ranging chat with her about her career and where she's been, where she's going, and uh, just real interesting backstory on uh, the woman who kind of uh, made a new home here in the U.S. after growing up in the Czech Republic. Cool. All right. Well, let's get to it. Joe wrapped up. Tom Dumoulin time-trialed his way to victory. He uh, stepped over the diminutive Naira Quintana and the defending champion Vincenzo Nibali, which we all kind of thought he was going to do. Did anyone uh, sitting around the table think that Dumoulin wasn't going to pull off the victory with the time trial? I mean, when he was on the side of the road with his pants around his ankles, I had I had concerns. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, other than that brief moment, uh, no, it was pretty clear that he was the strongest guy in the race. And... <laughs> I think also quite clear that uh, that Nairo and Vincenzo Nibali just did not quite have it in that last week when they really needed to have it. Yeah, I think that uh, that takes us to our first topic of discussion with this Jiro, which is TT's deciding the race. Mm. You know, there were a lot of comparisons on Twitter and in the broadcast about oh, 1989 and Greg LeMond versus Laurent Fillon and how wonderful it is to have a race come down to the final time trial. Um, I'm going to start us off a little flaming hot take here. Going to poop in the punch bowl. Going to poop in the punch bowl. (laughs) I mean, whatever. It was fine. It was cool. I'm glad that I'm glad that there was drama in the lead up to that time trial to at least have it be close. But I didn't watch it. I hate time trials. Wow. I don't, I don't watch that garbage. I'll follow along on Twitter. I got better things to do. So how can you say it wasn't exciting if you didn't even watch it, Fred? Because I've watched a million time trials. Ah. Uh, just from a pure spectator perspective, um, I just personally don't like them. I, you know, I don't know. I like, think I think it would have been a very suspenseful time trial if Nairo had put in a fast early split. Right. From the early splits, you could tell he just probably no wasn't going to be able to keep that 31 second lead or whatever it was. It was about 31 seconds, wasn't it? Uh, um, well, he, so he ended up losing by 31 seconds. Oh yeah, yes. But it was about, about that beforehand. As he well. had about half a minute. So yeah. it, if he had been putting in fast release, but, or if, if Thibaut Pino was just smashing the times or even nibbly, then, then I think we would have had a suspenseful race as it was Dumoulin ever consistent. You just, that guy is just so strong in the time trials. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of with Fred here. I hate time trials, just in general. I hate exercise competitions, and that's pretty <laughs> much what they feel like to me. Uh, I just, just so boring. This time trial, this is this is the ideal setup for a final stage time trial. Mm. It, literally, it gets no better than this. I mean, this is like it's, you have to go back to '89 to find a a setup for a final stage time trial that is this good. And even so, it really wasn't that good. I mean, like, okay, there was some suspense before it started but as spencer said as soon as we had time checks it was there was no more suspense it was okay it's clear unless nairo has been faking it for the first half of this 28k uh there's no way he's pulling this one out of the bag dumoulin is going to win it just was not you know everyone said dumoulin was going to win before the start that turned out to be the case that's not suspense here's the solution here's the solution no time checks we just wait you just wait I and like then it. and then he crosses the line, ta-da, like 
didn't see that one coming. Here's a question I have or for you guys. Or maybe you did. What do you, what do you do while you watch a time trial? A lot of times I'll do like chores. I'll like have the sound going and then just kind of like pick stuff up around the house, or like make a big breakfast. It's yeah. kind of like background noise. Well, I mean, you know, okay, maybe from a pure entertainment perspective, it doesn't have uh, the same level of enjoyment as some summit finish where guys are just slugging it out. But I guess I do see the dramatics of keeping a... Uh, decisive stage to the, to the end. And that keeps people engaged through three weeks of racing. And the way that this Giro was structured, you know, chapeau to RCS for structuring this Giro in a way that kept you engaged all the way to the last day. I agree. And if you think of it this way, if a few things had happened differently, if Jarrett Thomas was in the GC conversation in that last week, he's a very strong time trialist. It just, you know, things happen. But uh, I, I think you're right that the overall package of that Giro route was great. It's just when it comes down to it on that 21st stage, yeah, Tom Dumoulin, eh, kind of a, kind of going to spoil any sort of suspense you might have hoped for. Actually, I think the last time the Giro finished in Milan uh, was Hegedal versus... Yeah. 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 And, and so that was actually a pretty good... That That's was a good pretty one. good finish as well uh, with, with a time trial into, into Milan. So maybe... I don't know. Maybe maybe the last stage year of time trial is not all oh, that bad. Oh, you're flip flopping. Well, how can you're we forget uh, Denny Menchov on the cobblestones Ooh, yeah. versus Danilo? I will rip the cranks off the bicycle to Luca <laughs> back in. Uh, I would believe that was 08. Wet cobblestones just always require to have wet, wet cobblestones in mm-hmm. those time trials. Yeah, or they always need to have a camera mounted at the team in the bus to get their reactions because the best part of that Menchov crash is always his teammates like freaking out <laughs> yeah. when he just like slams into the cobblestones. There we go. Like, oh, Oh my God, we've done so much work for this jerk and he's about to lose it by crashing on a freaking time trial. Pic- picture in picture. That'd be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, moving forward. So looking at this victory by Tom Dumoulin, I do think we have to ask the question, is this, is this a race that Tom Dumoulin won or is this a race that uh, Naira Quintana and others lost? Oh, you know, I mean, that gets to the the heart of whether it's sort of a deserving victory, right. which is which is kind of a tricky question. Uh, I mean, we clearly did not see Nairo Quintana at his best. Right, he was not climbing as well as he has climbed in the past. I think if he was at his best, he likely would have won that race. Uh, I mean, granted, Dumoulin was climbing exceptionally well, but the Nairo that we've seen in the past still likely takes enough time you know it was only 31 seconds at the end still likely takes enough time that he wins that race that kind of puts it in the well that was that was a race actually that naira lost rather than one that dumoulin won however i think given dumoulin's story where he's come from how he's turning himself into a gc rider the fact that this is really uh his coming out as a gc rider i think that puts him into the this is a this is a giro that tom dumoulin won and not won not a race that uh his competitors just screwed up i'm i'm gonna say dumoulin won this and there's no qualifiers for me he just won it plain and simple he was in control those time trial performances were dominant he rode masterfully in the mountains, well within himself, knew exactly how to pace himself on those climbs. It just never felt like Quintana was controlling the race, let alone Nibali, let alone Pino or any other GC contender. It was always Dumoulin in control of how things were going to play out on the road. It felt like Quintana's team was in control of the race, but it was Dumoulin that was in control as soon as the rest of Movistar 
was left behind. Yeah, I that's, thought that was interesting. That's I, look, I'm I'm with all three of you too. I think this is a very deserving victory. I, I don't want to take anything away from mm. Dumoulin's victory. I mean, he crushed it. He he won it fair and square. I don't think we saw top level Quintana. And no. what what leads me to believe that is some of the attacks that he did. Uh, there was the attack on the uh, ascent to Piancavallo and. I'm, I'm sure I just butchered that. I apologize to all of our uh, Italian fans. And a, a couple of the other uphill finishes where he looked like Naira Quintana from the Mont Ventoux stage of last year's tour, where it's like he goes on the attack, he gets the gap, and then gets brought back. And it just, I don't know, it just spoke to the guy who had the punch to get the acceleration, but that just could not hold it. And so I do, I'm like you, Kaylee, I see that 31 second. Um, deficit, and it's like that's nothing, you know. Like I, I, I just got to feel like peak Nairo, especially on a stage like stage sixteen or um, stage eighteen and nineteen, is able to carve out that uh, carve out those thirty-one seconds somewhere on the uphill finish. But you know, I just don't think we saw a top end Nairo, considering and considering his team was the strongest. I mean, look at yeah. look at Dumoulin's team. Dumoulin's like, team was not. Chad Haga yeah. was on that team. We love Chad. Like you know. I don't know. Chad still has a couple more years of development left to go. Like, he had some guys on that team that were, like, B-grade sprinter dudes. Mm. Like, this was not Movistar in its prime. This no. was not Wiener Anacona and uh, some of the other climbers that that team was able to bring to this race. We do love Chad Haga. No, 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 uh, no harsh words against Chad Haga. However, yeah, they definitely missed... Uh, like Wilco Kelderman in particular, right. who was who was knocked out of the race in that motorcycle incident that also uh, put a put a big damper on Team Sky's efforts at this Giro. Mikael Landa ended up with a stage win, but that was definitely not what Sky was hoping to get out of this race. Uh, and and I, I really honestly do think that with uh, with Wilco Kelderman in that race, that Sunweb would have been well, they would have had a much b- bigger presence, better presence at the front of the race when when the going got tough in that final week. I think another element uh, elephant in the room to consider though is it's like you know yes it was a thirty one second uh, deficit by the end, but like I don't know you take out the uh, nature break on stage 16 and it's like, are we even having this conversation about how close of a Giro it is or is Dumoulin just like minutes ahead? I keep saying this. If he hadn't taken that break, he would have lost even more time. He needed it. (laughs) I'm telling you. It's weight. It's weight loss. All right. So you didn't see peak Nairo at the Giro. Are we going to see peak Nairo at the tour? No, <laughs> maybe. I don't think it does it matter. He's not going to win anyway. Mm. I think even peak Nairo does not beat Chris Froome yeah. this year. Mm. I think this is a down year for Nairo. And you know what? I do think that. Yeah, the, second some, place in the Giro. Terrible. Huh? Well, you know, <laughs> he's not going to win a Grand Tour this year. Well, yeah, you're right. We uh, we posted a story online about him, you know, saying that uh, maybe he had some had a little sickness in That's, that third yeah, week. Yeah, that was what he said to Andrew Hood yeah, after the. Third, yeah. A little sickness in the third week. And, um, you know, he wasn't on his best on the summit finish to Piancavallo and the reader sentiment. Oh, sidebar. Oh, man. Reader response. Like, people were full on calling him they were mad. an excuse Tron. And, yeah, people did not like that yeah. one. So I do wonder if, I don't know, maybe popular sentiment is turning against Nairo. Well, if he, yeah, obviously that that wasn't the right thing to say. <laughs> wow. It just made him look like he was coming up with excuses, complaining, and taking something away from Dumoulin's win. Um, 
But yeah. you know, what you know, maybe well, he, he was sick. But he was very gracious in defeat. He and, was, yeah. You know, said that Dumoulin was the strongest guy and gave him a lot of credit. But you know, when when our reporter asked him about the sickness, he was very much like, yeah, you know, not mm. fe- not feeling great. Yeah, well, I mean, that's just an honest answer, right? Like, what do you want the guy to do? Do you want him to just lie? You want to be like, nah, I felt great. It was, I, you know, I just lost. Yeah. No, he's he's gonna if he if, they, if he was sick in last week, he's gonna say that when a reporter asks him. And yes, it can kind of come across as. Uh, as complaining uh, or as taking something away from Dumoulin's win, but I think that that's ah, I think that's a little harsh against Nairo. You know, he's just answering the question. How do we see him doing at this year's tour? Podium, second, third, second. second. Ah, I I see Port beating him. Yeah, I, I see him maybe third, maybe fourth, maybe DNF. Mm, yeah. I mean, he had a tough time with allergies last year. He's you know between last year allergies and and this year at the Giro saying he was sick in the end. I'm thinking he's maybe not as durable as he seemed originally in terms of having issues in that third week, getting a little sick and a little sniffly. Yeah, I mean, and the weather was good the Giro this year, so if there's ever a year you're going to have a, a clean Giro that without getting sick, it's going to be this one. Uh, mm, yeah. That said, that said, I mean, the reason why they the, the reason why they did this, the reason why they had Nairo in the Giro before the Tour de France, according to Movistar, uh, is that he had such a good Vuelta after the Tour. So... They're hoping that he actually comes into the Tour de France stronger than he rode the Giro. And as we said this a bunch of times in the podcast before the Giro started, I think that Nairo probably came into this Giro a little bit undercooked. I agree. Uh, which means that effectively he just had a huge three-week sort of build phase, like training block. As long as he doesn't come out of it too too wrecked, and I don't think he will come out of it too wrecked, uh, maybe he is. Maybe he's just on fire for the Tour de France. You never know. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. that's the storyline that we're going to be Watching in a couple weeks when that big race kicks off. Uh, moving ahead, guys, there's a lot of chatter about Tom Dumoulin uh, being potential foil for Chris Froome now. Ooh. I mean, he showed he can climb at this year's Giro. He can obviously time trial. What do we think about Tom Dumoulin being the real rival for uh, Chris Froome? I mean, he's 26. He is five and a half years younger than Chris Froome. Um, I think, yeah, I think the age is going to be, he'll beat him, he'll beat him in that way where he'll catch Froome on the downswing of his career while he's still either on the upswing or the peak. So in that respect, Dumoulin has the edge. I don't think Dumoulin will have the edge on the climbs. Yes, he's great at pacing. Um, pacing yourself up to a guy like Quintana or Nibali is very different than pacing yourself to, up to Chris Froome, I think, because, you know, when Froome goes, he goes and he keeps going, whereas Nibley and Quintana tend to accelerate and watch each other and play tactics a little more than Froome, just generally from what I remember in the past years. So if we look at the way that Froome won the Tour de France last year, it was in time trials and sneaky little moves. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that Tom Dumoulin is going to be less susceptible to sneaky little moves than Nairo Quintana because he's a bigger guy. He's a, he's a better time trialist. He's not going to let Froome, for example, get away on a descent, uh, get away on a flat run into the finish. That stuff's not going to happen with Dumoulin. Uh, he's just better off in those high-speed scenarios, whereas Nairo is really kind of a one-trick pony, and if it's not going uphill, he's kind of shit out of luck. Uh, so I think sort of advantage Dumoulin there at some point I do agree that Froome is still at the peak of his powers and probably not necessarily beatable. Uh, well, this year is irrelevant because Dumoulin's not doing the tour, but even next year, probably not. Um, the other thing to remember here is that Naira Quintana is also very young, and so as Froome starts to age out 
of GC contention, and it does happen to everyone. They oh, seem yeah. immortal when they're winning, and then all of a sudden they're not. Look at Alberto Contador most recently. Yeah, uh, I, I was so good like five years ago, guys. You have no <laughs> idea how good a rider I was five years ago. Damn, you got old, yeah. son. <laughs> yeah, you, you just weren't there, though, so you didn't see it. But trust me. I trust you. I trust you, Spencer. Uh, anyway, as, as Nairo and Dumoulin are, are basically the exact, exact same age. Class of 1990. We Class got Nairo. We got Dumoulin. We got uh, Thibaut Pino, Peter Sagan, Roman Bardet, yeah, and crazy. Kwiatkowski. Also crazy. my little yeah. brother, actually. Oh, my God. Class of 1990, yeah. I'm calling my shot. Dumoulin wins the 2020 tour. For first time for 2020 tour. tour. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Beats, beats Chris Froome. First, first Froome defeat in the tour. Can we hold you, kill that against you somehow? I, that's why I said I'd Make call my shot. Okay. <laughs> yeah, five bucks. <laughs> okay. There, yeah. you, you had to hurt it there. Folks. I'll bet you a power tap wheel. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, Dumoulin. So in the why end, not? Okay, in the end, you say 2020. Dumoulin finally topples Chris Froome. I mean uh, that that that's a bunch more wins for Froome. We're talking we're talking you know re- record setting. Yeah, we're territory talking. He's a six, Froome at that six point. time winner by that point. Huh. Yeah. It could happen. Huh. It could yeah. happen. Never know. I think it's going to happen sooner than that. Uh, I think that these guys, like I said, they always seem they always seem unbeatable when they're at the peak of their powers. But all it takes at the top of this at the top of the sport is like one percent, and all of a sudden you go from first to fourth. So yeah, and I think the other uh, thing to to note with Dumoulin is it's like he had you know this was sort of a long term project, right? This was a long term project built around taking a really strong time trialist and a bulkier guy who could climb and trying to shed some weight off of him, get his uh, endurance up for three week stage races, and like you know build him into a Grand Tour contender. He was so close to being there in 2015. So close. It came down to that last mountain stage, and just you know, Dumoulin didn't have the endurance, and just I don't know, maybe such he was a, a different rider in that yeah, that a, Vuelta, not a even close. Couple kilos heavier, and so now yeah. like I mean, that's what blew me away about seeing him on the start line this year. At the Giro it was just like, wow, that guy is lean. That yeah. guy is really thinned out, and just mm. you know, kept the, kept the power going. You know who is in the same same mold, and I think even more talented. Who's that? Bob Jungles. Ooh, Jungle the, Bob. The Jungle Bob. Yeah, Bob's my, my adopted GC rider. Who then? Did he win? He won the white jersey. Yeah, oh yeah, he won uh, the yeah. white jersey. So on the my, last day. my adopted GC rider didn't win the white jersey. Bob Jungles uh, had a great ride. He had an awesome he had a fantastic ride. Fantastic oh, yeah. ride. And, and he's still a he's still a bigger rider. You look at him; he's just a bigger guy, just like Tom Dumoulin used to be. I think that Bobby J. In the next couple of years, could be could be up there as well. Maybe yeah, quick, he'll, maybe you'll see the same coach as Dumoulin. Quickstep yeah, yeah. like posted some uh, some tweeted some photo of him with his shirt off, like flexing at the finish line. And I was like, dude, that does like guys like a twelve pack. I was like, wow, that guy is yoked for a bike racer. You need to do less push ups, Bobby see, J. That's why you need the handlebar mounted power meter. Yep. Uh, who, who else had who else had great rides at this year's Giro? Uh, I liked uh, Hurt. From the the Polish team, yeah. CCC, whatchamacallit. Yeah, Pro Conti coming in 11th? I 13th. Think? 13th. But oh. climbing with everyone on those last few days. Davida Formolo? Yeah. I got to say, that's a very strong ride for a young guy, 10th mm-hmm. place. Um, and for someone who <laughs> he basically sucks at time trials, let's be frank. <laughs> I mean, he's a great climber, but he's got a long way to go with time trialing. Uh, and if he did improve a little in those time trials, yeah. 
And but just to write good system for three weeks, good for him. American Joey Roscoff was fifth in the final time trial. Yeah, good, yeah. good result. Really good, good, I don't good know result. where he pulled that out of, but uh, pulled it out of somewhere. That was an <laughs> incredible, incredible ride hey, for him. Yeah. Great ride. That guy can time trial after three weeks yep. of hard, hard racing. Congrats to Joey on that. Uh, how do we want to rate this Giro? What are we going to think about? I mean, obviously, when we look back at the 2017 Giro, the image that will pop into everyone's mind is poor Tom Dumoulin sprinting off his bike to the side of the road, stage 16. But how do we rate this race? I think it was really good. Uh, you know, the, the beginning was a little bit slow. I think that we didn't get what we were hoping for on Etna. I, did, I don't even think we really got what we were hoping for on Blockhouse. Agreed. The first week and a half, first 10 days was pretty slow, although that is normal. That's pretty normal for, for Grand Tours these days. Uh, it's, it's, it's the rare Grand Tour when we get a super exciting first week. We've had a couple of them recently, but uh, it's still relatively rare. On a scale of, of uh, one to five bowls of pasta... Uh, I'm going with four bowls of pasta bowls and a meatball. Ooh, yeah. Meatball. So we're like, we're, yeah, we're four bowls and a meatball. A meatball in each bowl, or only in one of the bowls? No, it's four, it's four bowls of of just dry, Ew. boring pasta. No, <laughs> <laughs> four bowls of regular pasta. The last one is a meatball, so it's like four point one. Yeah, oh, okay. it's lunchtime. I'm hungry. Mm. <laughs> that, sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Spencer, how many uh, pasta bowls? Uh, I'd give it like. Uh, Seven cappuccinos. Wow. Yeah. Okay. How many? I I thought this was uh, definitely overall an exciting race. Lots of things to talk about. Some suspense going into the final week, like we discussed. Yeah, there were some kind of boring parts, and there was sort of a sense of inevitability. And we all, we can all agree, Nairo didn't light it up like we wanted him to. And I think there was room for improvement, but but still a very solid Giro, very exciting. Um, yeah, pretty much from start to finish, really. I mean, there's some good stuff happening in the, that first week, um, Sicily and Sardinia. It just wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. I missed Fabio Aru. Yeah, yeah. Aru would have really helped animate more. Yeah. Um, and if it's it, nothing. But you if, could see how the collaboration between Nibali and Quintana led to more exciting scenarios in those mountain stages. And one more guy like that would have put it over the edge, I think. I loved watching Zacharin and Pozzavivo. Those guys, too. Yeah, that was a lot of fun because it was like big dog, little dog, you know? <laughs> They're an odd couple. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. <laughs> totally. Uh, I'm with you, Spencer. In fact, I might, I might uh, notch my dial down a couple. Hmm. Uh, I'm mixing metaphors here. A couple bowls of pasta. <laughs> I, I think I'll give it three bowls of pasta. It was, it was okay. I mean, I'm glad that it kept it interesting all the way to the end. Hmm. But I'm with you. I, I just didn't get what I was looking for on some of those summit finishes. The riders weren't aggressive enough there was a lot of rolling around looking at each other there was a lot of guys chasing following moves and then not willing to put their own nose in the wind and specifically i'm talking about naira quintana and vincenzo nibali um stages 19 and stages 20 i thought would be a lot more aggressive and just 20 was 20 was pretty good 20 was pretty good stages 18 and 19 then I, i was hoping for a little bit more aggression on some of the summit finishes didn't really deliver but you know chapeau to tom dumoulin he is a worthy champion Worthy adversary, man. Worthy adversary. <laughs> so I guess that's what I'll remember this year's Giro for. Uh, okay, guys, moving on. Let's talk about the Hammer Series. Stop. Hammer time. Um, I, you know, this is something that's been on our, our radar for a few months now. Um, it's an innovative race taking place this coming weekend in Limburg in the Netherlands. That's about all I know about it. <laughs> well. Since I wrote the story about it on Yellownews.com, yeah. yeah. I will fill you in, Fred. So, yeah, this is a, it's, it's sort of a joint venture between Velon, which is that team group, uh, and the same company that owns the Tour de Suisse. Um, 
but the point, the thing that you need to know about the actual racing is that we have uh, we have three days, and it is a team. It's a team winner, so that we don't have an individual winner at the end of this thing. It's a team winner. Uh, we have one climbing day, one sprint day, and one time trial day. The climbing day and the sprint day are run as points races, so they're on a circuit lap, and every time around, you get points when you cross the finish line. So, uh, and then the, the points add up. You know, the points for the last lap I think are worth more. And then the last day is this time trial where whoever has the most points goes off first, and then it's a pursuit. So uh, the teams that are behind are then stacked up behind them and go off at, at time intervals, and it's just the first team across the line at the end that wins the entire thing. It should be real easy for the fans to <laughs> wrap their heads around this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's I mean, the thing. Well, is, it, it is, it is actually, yeah. I... Okay. You 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 guys laugh. However, if you th- okay, stop and think about this. If at the end of the race, the first team across the line is the winner of the race, that's pretty easy, right? I mean, like, so if the first team, but goes you're ending a race at the time trial, and we've already talked about how it's kind of problematic to have a, a time te- trial at the end of a race. Team time trial pursuit. So I think that's slightly more interesting. You know, like, so first team they still has, ride those bikes. Let's say the, the first team helmets. has 110 points, and the second team has 100 points. First team goes off. Yeah. And it's like 15 seconds or whatever. Second team goes off. Right. And you can see them chasing each other. And, you know, the second team has a rabbit. The first team doesn't. You could potentially have two teams like sprinting for a finish line at the finish. That's, That'd be kind of sounds crazy. Sounds really safe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's the basic concept. Uh, the teams don't really know what to think of this yet. They don't really know how to ride this yet. Um, I caught up with Lawson Craddock at the Tour California. Unfortunately, I did not record the conversation, but I can now impart to you what he said, which is basically, yeah, like our directors don't really know how this is going to play out. This is very experimental. However, he seemed pretty excited about it. He was, uh, you know, like they put it on his calendar a while ago as something that he should focus on um, and and as a sort of a way for, well, the big deal is that eventually the teams want to be getting some money out of this. They're going to do some revenue sharing and things like that, and that's why Velon is involved, uh, and they're hoping that this new model kind of kind of takes off. Like I, I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I think that it's, it reminds me a bit of the World Cycling League, the uh, track series that Dave Chonner was trying to get off the ground a couple years ago. In fact, he's still working on it, where it's like when you actually describe what's going on in the competition, it's very complicated, and you're like, oh, my God, how am I going to ever wrap my brain around it? And then when you sit back and, like, watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, first team across the line wins. This is pretty This is pretty intuitive. Right. So my hope for this event is that, um, you know, it is engaging and entertaining, and it does come down to a close finish, but more so that just people find it to be intuitive to watch. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, based off of your description of it, it, it will be that. It's just it's a little bit different and tough to wrap your brain around and because it kind of exists outside it's not a world tour race uh but it's getting world tour quality field they they can experiment some and i think that it will it will probably change in my is my guess over the next couple of years uh you know maybe this is where we start seeing things like numbers on jerseys or names on jerseys or things like that it, it, granted it is still uci they still have to follow those rules but there, there is more room for experimentation within this particular series particularly since they're not dealing with the, the monster in the room which is the aso which owns the tour de france yeah and i think that um you know the uh, like you said, teams don't really know what to do with this. I mean, in fact, we're looking at some of the rosters that are coming out, and teams are like, "Well, it it, it seems like a mix between guys who were 
able to go from a scheduling perspective and then guys whose strengths maybe kind of suit this. It's like really impossible to predict like what type of rider to bring to this type of event. Yeah, most of the teams have brought a sprinter. All the teams have brought a sprinter actually. They've all brought a sprinter because they, they, they need those points on the sprint stage. Uh, and then they've also brought climber types, but it's not it's not your Chris Froome climber type. Mm. It's your Tom Yelta Slagter. Greg Van Avermaet will be Greg there. Greg Van Avermaet. He'll be, he'll be good for that. They're doing yeah. Coburg loops, basically. It's perfect for him. Uh, yeah. you know, the, it's not a huge, huge, huge climb. It's a power climb, and the points are over the top. So it's who can, who can continue to hit it, hit it, hit it. Or, on the other hand, who has the deepest team? Who has three different riders who can you know send one guy up the road one lap and then rest and recover, send another guy up the next lap, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think the tactics could actually be really interesting, uh, or it could be terrible. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we honestly, we don't really know. I'm, at the moment, staying optimistic, leaning towards this is going to be an interesting event, uh, if not if not sort of cycling changing event. I mean, I, I'm not sure that the Tour de France is going to adopt this anytime soon. What but. about what about like local groups of masters racers? They're going to be putting on their own like hammer series on, you know, weird like back roads and stuff like that. I think an amateur version of this would be actually be kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, you, you pull it'd be team. great. It'd be great for a Cat 3 race, right? Yeah. Should we do an Ask a Cat 3 about how to, how to race the hammer series? Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. We should do it. Ask a Cat 3 how to do the hammer series. Okay, Spencer, Cat 3, uh, what are your tips on how to race the Hammer Series? Uh, I think I would put like a bunch of pieces of tape on my handlebar with all like little notes about how the, the point scale works uh -huh. and like where the sprints happen and everything. And so I'll just like, you know, keep an eye on how that all works. Uh, and then probably cause a crash because I'm just looking at my handlebar. I like it. Uh, I think what I would do is actually I would read Kaylee's story on velonews.com. Oh, yeah. Check it out, guys. And then I would roll around in the Peloton and talk about it really loudly about what I read on Velonews. <laughs> so I totally know what's going on, guys. You see, the thing you want to do is be at the front the whole time. Move up. <laughs> and that's Ask a Cat 3. <laughs> Now we have a voice for Cat for Asking Cat Three. That's, this is exciting. This is exciting development. And I like my, our that's my Cat Three. I voice, like our which Cat Three. Sounds voice. a lot like my regular. Voice. <laughs> Funny, weird, weird. I know, weird real strange. Anyway, uh, Hammer Series. I'm excited. It'll be great. I think it should be pretty good. We'll see. Um, okay. Do we want to talk about the Dauphiné? Yeah. Uh, guys, before we get to the Dauphiné, let's talk about this uh, story broken the Denver News, uh, the Denver Post today about Danny Summerhill, who's a cyclist that we have covered for many, many, many years um, involved in uh, it's a bizarre situation. Sounds like he uh, had a firearm on him during a training ride, um, fired it at a couple, at, at a hillside. This was back in February. Cops came. Um, I just got a statement from his team basically saying that uh, they've accepted Mr. Summonhill's resignation from the team effective immediately. Personal actions of one individual do not represent the values of our dedicated athletes, sponsors, and fans. So it sounds like Danny Summerhill will be leaving Team United Healthcare. Um, you know, it, without knowing more details about the situation, I guess all we can say is, you know, don't do something like that. That's very <laughs> dangerous. But, you know, at the same time, Danny Summerhill was an athlete that we covered for many, many years from the time he was a junior all the way through his. Uh, senior and professional career and you know we hope him the best and hope that he's able to come back from a situation like this the dauphiné 
on that on that bummer bit of news. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Dauphiné. Let's talk about the Dauphiné. Yeah. Um, guys, the Dauphiné is going on, and Chris Froome may not be the strongest rider in the race. I don't know. There's, uh, you know, last year, I think we had some... Um, we had some premonitions that Chris Froome was on pretty good form coming in the Dauphiné. I, th- I think I remember him doing fairly well in some of those springtime races. Uh, this year, it's kind of a black box. We've see- we saw him race at Romandy. Didn't really do much there. Um, I've followed him on Twitter, like tweeting out photos of him training. Yep. So, you know, the assumption is that he's on track. But uh, he's going to be squaring off against guys who've had substantially more success than him this year. Um, Richie Port, uh, Alberto Contador. I mean, yep. these are guys who have all like won and placed really high in some of these uh, warm-up races. So I guess the question is, what do we see happening in the Dauphiné? Yeah, as more and more riders sort of uh, as they avoid some of these early season tune-up races that we're used to them seeing, or if they don't avoid them, then they come into them, you know, just as training races. They're not trying to win. It becomes harder and harder and harder to make you know, to prognosticate uh, toward the Tour de France. We have to, we have to work under the assumption that Chris Froome is on track for the Tour. There's no, we haven't seen anything to indicate otherwise. And if he's on track for the Tour, it means he's real fast for the Dauphiné. I think that he's going to be, I think he's obviously still a contender. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't ride away with it because, again, it is a couple of weeks prior to the Tour de France. But, you know, he's going to come in and, and, Half of the Dauphiné is is these guys sort of eyeing up each other and trying to figure out who's riding well, who's riding well where, you know, trying to get sort of a last minute, uh, a last minute scan on their competition. And I think that you know Chris Froome will come in, he'll come in strong. He's proven over and over and over again that he can come into races strong even without a lot of racing in his legs. And I don't, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put uh, a Dauphiné win past him, that's for sure. We'll get to see those guys run a time trial in Stage 4. That should be interesting. That's a pretty pure test. Guys like Fabio Aru, Richie Porte, obviously. And uh, that will be, I think, a pretty helpful indicator for us fans. And then also it's worth noting that Stage 7 finishes on Alpe d'Huez, and that should be one to watch, Mm. I would say. There's also a mountain stage in Stage 8 as well. Um, So it kind of is a little bit backloaded and... um, yeah, definitely. There should be plenty of climbing for those guys to test themselves on. Yeah, definitely a backloaded route, uh, which is I think good. I, when, when they're tr- when these so the Dauphin and the Tour de Suisse are always trying to attract tour yeah. contenders, right? And they and they compete. They're owned by different companies. Uh, you know, they both want to get the big names. They've definitely gone back and forth in terms of which one gets the big names each year. A lot of it depends on who had the best weather the previous year, because <laughs> essentially they just you know the guys don't want to go somewhere and get sick. Uh, the Tour de Suisse was really hard last year, and so I think a lot of guys are now avoiding it. Um, I was actually, going back to the Hammer Series re- real briefly, I was kind of expecting a couple more big names from Velon teams to end up at the Hammer Series, which conflicts with the Dauphiné. Mm. I, I thought that might actually be on purpose because uh, the Hammer Series and the Tour de Suisse have a relationship, and Tour de Suisse uh, competes with the Dauphiné. But... It appears that most of the big names have gone to the Dauphiné nonetheless. We don't have a whole lot of big GC names at the Hammer Series, nor do we have a ton of big names at the Tour de Suisse this year. 
No, it really seems like the Dauphiné has not just it has grabbed and held on to that marquee status as the official Tour de France tune-up race. I mean, this is going on what like 10, 11 years. I mean, Bradley Wiggins won it, Froome has won it a number of times. It, it, it really seems sort of in the modern era that the Dauphiné has grabbed the upper hand. And like you said, you know, the Tour de Suisse, it's a week later, so maybe guys are finding that, you know, having an extra week of rest before the Tour de France is really helping them out. But to me, it just seems like the Tour de Suisse always serves up rain and cold and just like a couple stages where you're like as a fan you're watching it and you're like man I'm glad I'm on my couch like eating potato chips and not riding a bike right now because that looks miserable yeah the only thing worse in my mind is like toward Romandy yeah. other than that it's like yeah it's just like hey crashes and rain maybe a little bit of snow yeah good yeah. luck good chocolate That'll though get, Switzerland. Yeah. Switzerland totally get you ready for the Tour yeah. of France get fat on that chocolate yeah, getting hit Ooh, by a snowball don't want to do that uh, last year um Tour uh, last year the Dauphiné. My lasting memory will be uh, Chris Froome just ripping the legs off of poor Alberto Contador, who was in the yellow jersey. On I believe it was stage six, Richie Port was able to go with him, and it was at that point you were like, "Okay, I think we're knowing. I think we know who's winning the Tour of France this year." <laughs> Sorry, Bertie. So who wins the Dauphiné? Um, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Mr. Chris Froome. Mm, bold. It's bold play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Port while you're thinking. Richie Port wants to, wants to prove himself. He's, you know, he's the big guy for the tour for BMC. He needs to be, he needs to be ready to go. Yeah. I, I, I actually agree with Spencer here. Hmm. I think that, uh, you know, Port has shown us over and over and over again that he is real good in one week races. Yeah, yeah. That's true. That's really <laughs> and I true. think that he's going to come out and, Guns a blazing and and crush the Dauphiné, and I think that that's actually a good thing for him uh, mentally to to come and, and do really really well at the Dauphiné. I think he needs that more than a guy like Chris Froome needs a good Dauphiné ride, and so I think he's going to come in a little bit sharper than the rest and and come away with the win, uh, and then fall apart two weeks in the Tour de France. Iban Mayo style. <laughs> what was that uh, 2004 Tour de France? The Lance's War Book where the guy talked about Iba Mayo showing up to the Dauphiné just, like, so fit. And, I mean, we can only speculate about, you know. Well-prepared. Real well-prepared. Yeah. Did all his intervals that year and just, like, rip Lance's <laughs> legs off. And then a couple, couple weeks later, <laughs> flat as a pancake. Uh, anyway, Dauphiné, I'm excited. Guys, we're, what, like, five weeks away from the Tour de France? Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> Have you done your Tour de France homework? No, no. We, wait, we, we made a whole tour guide. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. whatever. I read all those pages. We know exactly what's going to go on. <laughs> uh, okay. Guys, before we get on to this awesome interview with Katarina Nash, a uh, quick word about PowerTap, which, as we mentioned at the top of the show, is our sponsor this week. Uh, PowerTap has power meters that fit in your pedals, fit in your hub, they fit in your chain rings. Yep. They pretty much have the power tap, or they have the power meter for you no matter what you do. Like, let's say you're a guy who travels a lot. Uh, like me. Like you. For and, example. Yeah. I mean, you haul the pedals around, right? On my travel bike, for example, uh, I have to pull certain things off to get it in the box. What do I have to pull off? I have to pull, up, pull, off, pull off the pedals anyway. A pair of power pedals, great for me. I absolutely love traveling with power pedals. Uh, for a training bike at home, hub. Perfect. Just throw the wheel in, throw the wheel out. You can throw it in a bunch of different bikes if you want to. Awesome. Uh, that's that's the best thing about, or one of the best things about Power Tap and the way that they've built this whole suite of power meters. And as a little reminder, you can win any of those three. 
power meters if you go to powertap.com slash Velo News and throw in your email address, sign up for the newsletter. That's all you got to do. Again, powertap.com slash Velo News. I hope you all win one. We want you to win one. <laughs> that's not going to happen. One of you will win one. Yeah. But still, that's a pretty rad giveaway. That's what we, we, just, we just called up PowerTap. We're like, hey, we really, really want to give away a power meter to our awesome listeners. You guys like, earned it. Yeah. You earned sure. it. You put up with a lot. They're you very, really do. You earned it. That's true. They're very powerful. Uh, okay, let's get to this interview. Right, so we're here at the Sea Otter Classic with Katarina Nash. Um, Katarina, what's uh, what's on the agenda this weekend here at the Sea Otter Classic? Kind of, um, you know, the same thing we do every year, and that is just enjoy this amazing festival, you know. So it's a, it's a lot of racing for me this weekend. I'm actually doing one race today and two tomorrow. So throwing in a little bit of cyclocross action at the end of it, and so short track, cross-country race, and... Um, cyclocross. I really should have done like enduro and downhill too, but you know, <laughs> not enough time. Uh, and then we'll be doing uh, kind of a bunch of other events with our sponsors. It's a good, uh, it's a good opportunity to meet with people that come here, enjoy the uh, join in like you know the, the, the entire festival and meet meet up with meet up with friends and fans and sponsors. So it's it's gonna be a busy one, but I'm looking forward to it. How long have you been coming to this event? Because I know you've been racing mountain bikes for quite a long time, so I have, I have a feeling you've got a lot of good sea otter stories. Maybe you can tell us one? <laughs> I definitely have a uh, few, uh, few good ones. Um, so with the Luna Pro Team, now Cliff Pro Team, um, I think I skipped one year because we probably had some World Cup in Europe, but this is my 16th season on the team, so I feel like I must be here somewhere between... 14 to 15 times uh and uh so there's a lot of stories i don't think we have time for all of it (laughs) yeah yeah well that's um yeah i mean that's an awesome run and it's it is a cool event i definitely enjoy coming here as well um i uh i wonder what it's like for you uh because last time we talked was before the olympics and um you uh raced fifth place there which uh definitely a solid finish um I'd imagine you probably wanted a medal, but um, (laughs) tell me about what it's like for you as a cross-country mountain bike racer to go from an Olympic year, which is obviously a huge build, into a year like 2017 where you don't necessarily have that just massive goal um, that's looming on the calendar. Yeah, you know, it's not, for me, it's not really hard because I don't really... I don't pick that one race a year and just put everything towards that. I'm more like, I just kind of want to do well in all the other events. And, you know, I, it definitely was a massive year last year because I went straight from like Olympics, kind of rolled that into cross and race through January. So I did, I did get to the end of cross season and I was like, well, now I'm tired. <laughs> I yeah. need now I need a break. So um, I'm just getting going now and uh, looking forward to uh, definitely a bit of a different structure. You know, so there's a lot of races on my calendar this year, but it's a, it's a really a, a departure from the traditional cross country racing. And to me, that's kind of what it makes it exciting. You know, I kind of like to add new challenges. Uh, throughout my throughout my career so you know once I kind of figure out the cross country I was like well now I want to try this cyclocross thing and (laughs) so I like to change it up every few years so I'm really uh, looking forward to the summer schedule with um, I'm doing all the epic rides and I'm doing 
BC Bike Race and Breck Epic and a uh, few other exciting events uh, that you wouldn't maybe expect me to be at. <laughs> that sounds awesome. And um, just for our listeners to be clear, the, uh, the Epic Rides is a series of longer distance cross-country races, including the Whiskey 50, a really well-known race in Prescott, Arizona. Um, have you done uh, any of those specifically, Katerina, or are, are these you have? Yeah. Yeah. So there are three now in a part of the series, and I've done all of them, but never in the same season. So uh, I am quite familiar with all three of them. Um, I got to do the Carson City last year, which uh, um, is kind of my old. Uh, stomping ground you know in the Lake Tahoe area so uh, I was really fun to have a big event in Tahoe area and it's coming back there this year uh, I'm not quite sure we might be skiing part of it because there yeah. is a lot of snow up high yeah. so that'd be interesting what's going to happen to the course uh, but yeah they're great events um, you really get to see some amazing single track racing's good and it's it's been getting really competitive you know it's kind of nice um addition it's nice change to the traditional cross-country racing so for those people that sort of been there done that you know got their 10 years on the world cup and they're not chasing that dream that dream anymore it's it's really nice to have another competitive series that kind of brings us back a little bit to what mountain biking used to be where you just headed out for one big ride you know so it's uh yeah i'm looking forward to that and uh um should be a good summer <laughs> yeah it sounds like a busy summer too is this um how how do you tailor your training differently because obviously we're talking about 50 or 60 mile races versus a olympic cross country which um i guess is like 40 kilometers give or take anyway it's like going it's the difference between an hour 45 race and a three to four hour race right yeah absolutely it's quite different and i definitely um i mean i'm always um telling everybody i love cyclocross because like you're done in 40 minutes yeah. and you know <laughs> but um with all these years of training and variety of racing i've done leadville you know i've done it all and if i can choose i'll definitely go with cyclocross <laughs> but it is a good challenge to sort of do a little longer longer events and the epic rides are still that's a, that's kind of manageable distance you know um i can say that Leadville is something I want to do again you know I, I don't think I have that mental that Ironman mm. mental capacity where you just go and do the same thing for that many hours right, right. So I, I like the true mountain biking where there is yeah. just stuff happening the scenery is changing the terrain is changing and mm -hmm. um, so um, you know I, I don't I don't change my training that much I do um, you know kind of like everybody just some specific intervals and some endurance riding and uh i you know i i raced a lot this past winter so i don't really have a good like gigantic base miles but i've also got 20 years of racing my bike so it's hopefully coming all together and uh i I do enjoy training on the mountain bike, so doing a big ride in the mountains, you know, that's always that's always neat. And also jumping into road road events and road group rides and things like that. So yeah, not a, not a big change for me. But do you think you're gonna um, gonna try and race marathon mountain bike world since you'll have all these kind of longer races <laughs> in the tank when you get into that time of the year? 
No, probably not. Yeah. I've kind of been there, done that once too. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm not really like gunning towards the long ultra distance kind of stuff. It's just the epic rides are, they're great events and they're, they're kind of the thing going on that's going on right now so and fits in my schedule and there's the crit and so uh yeah i'm gonna still mixing things with a little bit of cross country and stuff but yeah i'm not not heading towards the like be specialized distance okay. racer <laughs> all right all right fair enough, fair enough um so clearly from i'm sure everyone can tell by now it, you've done like pretty much any kind of discipline you can imagine of bike racing and you've also been an olympic cross-country ski racer which is a pretty nice little bonus i guess yeah. <laughs> you're originally a skier actually to start with um tell me about some of your keys to success what is it how can you just just go from one sport to the next like this how can you mix in all these different disciplines or is that your secret um yeah i don't, I don't know if i have a secret i mean i definitely like I like I said earlier, I like to change it up, you know. I, I can't just do the same training, same kind of thing over and over and pick one race in July and gone for that. You know, I'm gonna show up at the local cross race and wanna do well and um I guess last last few years I have to say that I also find racing easier than training <laughs> you know like i would rather mm -hmm. go do a bunch of cyclocross than be doing yeah. intervals by myself you know so yeah. changing that kind of structure and you know i definitely gotten i live in the bay right now so i've gotten a lot more into group riding kind of social training you can call yeah. it and so i always look look for ways to to make it fun and enjoyable i never really struggled with the training element i really enjoy being outside and and yes there are those days where you just put your head down and you do you do those intervals that you hate but a lot of my other training it really is just being outdoors i i never go to the gym <laughs> i just yeah. cross-country ski instead yeah. uh so finding in good ways that that the training works for me yet is good for the mind i, I don't ride indoors i don't do those kind of like things that you read about and you're like these people are great they sit on the trainer for six hours that's that's the way to success i'm like the opposite i i found a good balance with all of it and i think the years of experience and training you know it's just it's it's working for me but yeah it's it's a little bit about finding new challenging challenges and changing scenarios and riding all kinds of different bikes and not just be so stuck in one because I, I think I would get bored if I was just doing one thing over and over by now. So yeah. yeah, I mean it seems like a great approach and and it's cool too because um, your Luna team definitely kind of crosses over between both cyclocross and mountain biking and the team's been around for a really long time now and you've been a part of it for a really long time. Tell me about how the team how the team dynamic um, works and and what makes it successful and just how you keep bringing on just all these all these top riders you know you've got leah davison this year which is a big change she mm -hmm. was riding with specialized for a while uh tell me about the team 
team, obviously, it's been a great team. You know, like I said, um, I'm starting my 16th season, and uh, it's hard to believe because I was one of those youngsters back then, and I'm like the uh, veteran. <laughs> but uh, no, this team's been. I mean, first of all, Cliff Bar's been uh, great to great to us to support us year after year. You know, and being a little bit of a out of industry sponsor it's quite amazing to see that women's team like i don't think there's that many mountain bike teams in general that have been around for this long so it's it's really impressive and we always had you know good mix of like the star riders and young development riders and that that is ongoing thing and i think that's the biggest success of the team because you know i i got on the team with allison dunlop and sean even landing him and i had a chance to learn from them you know and without that i wouldn't be where i'm at now and so now we're trying to do the same for our young riders you know there's uh, you know Haley Batten I mean she she could be my daughter you know? <laughs> but we're on the same team and yeah. you know it, I think it's super helpful for the young riders to kind of see and be able to ask questions and race with us and so I think that's the biggest success it's it's the people that are involved that are running the team that are part of the team and uh, creating this great supportive environment to to be able to race our bikes and do, you know, do what we really want to do on the bike. So, should I have it shut yeah. off? Okay. It's alright, we can just, it'll, we can edit it out, we can just wait until he's finished. Oh. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no That's worries. Okay. I'll just like, start now. Okay. Hey, that's not a problem. Quiet over there! <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah so speaking about how you've come up through the team and developed with the team can you uh take us back to the, to sort of the time when you decided to move from the czech republic to the united states to really pursue your career as an athlete as a rider yeah it's it's funny because when i was making that transition i really thought at that point i thought i was departing from that <laughs> that world mm -hmm. i i moved over here i actually went to boulder um i came over on skiing scholarship but you know in europe it's kind of like you either an athlete or you go to school there's really not that much in between i mean there's definitely some very ambitious people that try to combine it but like for skiing it's rather hard because the cities aren't close to the mountains you know right. so to me it was sort of like um you know i was definitely a young kind of athlete coming through like ski academy and that sort of structure and so when i was deciding to go to college i was almost 22 and I thought, well, this is this is the end. I was kind of departing the national team for cross-country skiing and going to college. And I thought, you know. And then I got here and suddenly I realized that people are, you know, like 
have enough time to train and they they're doing a great job and they're combining it with their studies and managing it really well and the collegiate cross-country skiing was super competitive so yeah. i was like all right this is not a joke i gotta keep like working yeah. pretty hard to like do yeah. well and so it was a bit of an eye-opener and then with the olympics coming up to soldier soldier hollow i was like well there's an opportunity to kind of like be in school and jump back into it and so i, I made that a goal and made that possible to like finals super early on went back to europe to qualify for the olympics and uh, kind of managed that whole transition and then you know and then suddenly I was done with skiing you know because my eligibility was up I had a couple more years in school and I knew I wanted to stay here and finish school and so that's that's when I like figure out well maybe I could maybe I could ride my bike you know I definitely I, at that point I've had many years of bike racing but it was more like this summer fun you know like fun activity and really like the environment and always thought well, bikes were great and so I was like was that wait so was that before or after you did the 1996 Atlanta Olympics mountain this, bike race this was after yeah okay so you're you're kind of downplaying you're you're downplaying it a little well but put it in perspective I I did not have a whole lot of experience right. you know I definitely I, I definitely raced a yeah. bunch but I was uh by far the youngest athlete in that field in 96 Olympics and right. I, I believe it was like my third season on the mountain bike you know so it is quite shocking that I did. <laughs> I start everything with uh, summer Olympics on the mountain bike, and yeah. even I laugh about it. Um, I did year before that. I did get a silver medal at the Junior World Championship. So I, I mean, I can't really say I was like, oh, I got on the, my bicycle and went to the Olympics. It's not not that case. And I definitely, like I said, like I was training since very very young age for different sport but that fitness translated into mountain biking for sure yeah. but really until i got on luna which was um in 2002 i've never up to that point i've never ridden my bike in the winter you know it was just a seriously like a summer thing i raced yeah. for three four months and that was it so uh back to that point you know i was got hooked up with this awesome team and they added me on later they were like oh that's gonna be a good marketing to skier on the team right because they <laughs> already had a full roster and uh and i honestly thought well i just want to race my bike like, i'm living in the u.s i'm going to school i just want to race my bike here you know and i just want to take a couple years and race my bike you know and here i am 16 years later <laughs> yeah yeah that's not bad at all good <laughs> been a good ride <laughs> was it was it hard to leave the Czech Republic behind yeah I mean um, you know I was definitely uh, I grew up in very interesting era uh, I was 13 when the communism ended and I grew up uh, on the border with uh, Western Germany and Austria so pretty much like the border opened and then a year later we were riding our bikes across without a passport kind of thing you know mm -hmm. like we're going to Italy and yeah. we're going to Austria yeah. and so that that sense of adventure and kind of being free and exploring you know I definitely got to experience that in the high school and uh and then I got on that athletic path where you definitely starting to travel internationally and, you know, get to see the world. And that was great. So I think at that point, I didn't really like think that much about it. And I think 
when you're young, you're like up for anything, you know. But uh, yeah, it was it wasn't the easiest thing, you know. It was kind of difficult time in my um, in my life. We um, I lost my sister in a tragic accident and decided to, you know, quit the national team and go to college, you know. So it was just I kind of packed in a lot of. Uh, life traumatic or life changing things in hmm. short period of time and but I just kind of needed that new challenge I really needed to be busy and be doing things and and so yeah I, I moved you know I, I took SATs and I took a bunch of other tests to get into CU and got in but you know you've really realized how much you don't know once you like sitting at the Colorado history class at CU and there's <laughs> like, you know, crazy Native American comes into the class and he's like, what up? <laughs> and I'm like, is this the teacher? <laughs> like, what is going on? <laughs> and, uh, you know, not understanding everything. Like, I really, the first semester was so hard, you know, yeah. because you just, you you have just basics, you know. And now you're sitting in the college classroom and you have to, like, take notes and write, you know, write papers and talk to the teachers. And it was just all so different. But once again, I had a good you know, a good group on the ski team where everybody went kind of through it, especially all the Europeans. So there was a good support group and uh, and it just got easier and easier every semester to the point that, you know, like you just one day you're just comfortable and you can, instead of like trying to translate the language, you're actually like, you know, learning and doing the things you came to do in college. So it was a big step. Yeah, definitely a big one. Um, but I, I've spent, you know, I spent my entire adult life now in the United States. I've been here for, I don't know, like, I guess 17 years or something like that. So a good good chunk of my adult life. And, uh, and it feels, you know, it feels good. I love going back to Europe. I love spending time with my family. And that's that's been kind of a neat thing about my job with the Cliff Pro team that it takes me back to Europe and I get to visit and stay in touch with everybody and yeah. uh, I was actually awarded uh, key to the city of my hometown no last way. December awesome. and uh, you know I've done a lot of interviews and stand in front of the camera and da 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 and here <laughs> I'm standing in this historic room in my hometown with my entire family out there and a bunch of friends and the mayor gives me the key and I'm supposed to say something and I, like all I could do was like thank you you know I just like broke down because it just hit me like these wow. guys came to all the worlds in Tabor and you know yeah. they always yeah, show course. up for the events in Czech and they're like my super fan club and now here yeah. we are all in different settings so it was pretty it was pretty cool That's so yeah. it was super special and so I'm, I'm super thankful that you know a lot of the cycling does happen over in Europe and I get to kind of keep in touch with my family yeah, that the Czech identity, it seems like it's still really important to you. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I, you can't really, like, take that away and 
since we're no longer living in the communism, there's no need to like emigrate or change your citizenship or anything like that. I also like belief in like, if you're not good enough to qualify for the Olympics in the country you're from, you probably shouldn't try your cities, change your citizenship <laughs> to, to do it someplace else. But okay. you know, it's an opportunity for some yeah. people. Some people, yeah. some people do that. So anyway, I always wanted to race for Czech. I never had a desire to, um, you know, to change that. But at the same time, it's been, uh, it's definitely been nice, nice time in California for me. And, uh, you know, I enjoy, enjoy racing here and met a lot of great friends. And so, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I mean, I think I speak for all of the American cycling fans that we always like having you here as part <laughs> of our, part of our scene and part of the community showing up at Sea Otter and that sort of thing. Um, okay. Let's end with, let's, let's end with a fun one. Uh, let's come up with a Katarina Nash ultra super duper triathlon just all the all the different types of sports you've raced over the years <laughs> so we've got Nordic skiing yeah. we've got mountain biking cyclocross road racing there's got to be others, right? Uh, yeah, I started with gymnastics. Oh, we got, yeah, yeah. We'll throw in a judge it's, event. It's well, judge great. Event. Yeah, I didn't do very well with that. I was. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great sport to kind of start with. Like okay. it's awesome for balance and yeah. sort of gives you, you know. Um, I did track and field. I was a high jumper. Okay, Can't believe that. that. <laughs> running, running, high jumping. Okay. Um, I did a little bit of alpine skiing. Uh, we didn't have a chairlift, so it was like you had to hike up to do the slalom and hike up again. So I guess you would consider that more like backcountry skiing. Yeah. Or it's two sports, hiking and downhill skiing. Um, I did duathlon and triathlon a couple okay. times. Okay. Uh, orienteering. We did that oh, in the yeah. in the early years of my ski club. We kind of tried a lot of different things on the ski club. So. Um, that might be that might be it okay. yeah mm -hmm. that, that would be a pretty hard event i have a feeling you would win that one which is makes sense because it's your it's your uh, event we we should we should come up with this event oh this the whole spot. thing yeah, yeah we yeah. string all these events together and yeah. have one super duper race where you do yeah. all these crazy sports all in succession sure if we were french we would have a world championship <laughs> at it right now yeah yeah there we go i would finally be the world champ <laughs> come up with some craziest sport and then yeah, and nobody's work. doing it and by the time they get better you're like i moved on to different yeah. paragliding you yeah. know or or you yeah you're the first ever so i mean yeah, being the first yeah. ever that's huge so i don't know i guess i don't care about those titles that much. I, know. I like uh, the i i do like to line up with really fast people that will challenge me you know and that's also like what's so cool about cycling you know because like even if you look at the field here today it's gonna be people in our late 30s and like early 20s and we're gonna be duking it out there yeah. and you can really say who's gonna take it because it's it's that cool to see that like 20 years apart and we can be you know doing the same thing and and yeah having good fights definitely, <laughs> definitely. well best of luck in that fight you've got coming up <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you for your time and um, enjoy the rest of the time here at sea otter thanks for having me <laughs> okay guys we uh before we bid adieu to the listeners this week we have a final question and you know what i got this hammer series thing on my mind we got an innovative bike race coming up so my question to you is what is your innovative bicycle race 
Mine's Dis- disruptive. Disruptive? Innovative. Yeah, Ooh. disrupting bike. Disruptors. Mine's not that innovative, actually. I just want them to bring back something. Uh, so back in the good old days, in mm. the old days of bike racing, they used to do these massive, like, 100-kilometer uh, team time trials yeah. that were uh, obviously sort of pre-aero bikes, so they are on drop bars, like Merck style. And it was supposedly, like, the most difficult, most painful event you could possibly imagine. I want to bring those back. Maybe even make them longer. Do them, like, 200K, oh. 200K team time trial in the middle of a Grand Tour. That'd be amazing. Is this part of your, like, old-school Grand Tour where they'll have, like, 470-kilometer stages yeah. over dirt roads and stuff? And Perfect. pockets on their chests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wacky. I think more groating would be great, too. Mm. Yep. Bring mm-hmm. back groat. Spencer, any ideas for wacky, innovative bike races? Yeah, yeah. Let's... Um, Let's do a new like classification in a grand tour where we take the most dangerous descents and we time them, and then we uh, have like a prize, uh-huh. like a lot of money. Uh-huh. So like make yeah. them take a lot of risk. Sell, uh, sell it to a sponsor before it, we come up with before we get it okayed by uh, the bike racing world. Uh, yeah, mm, I'm starting to think this one through for a second. Wait a second. This sounds. Thanks. Am I familiar? Yeah, my brain's totally fried from the Giro. I can't remember. Uh, uh, well, so my innovative bike race piggybacks off of that, which mm. is to <laughs> actually do a smart downhill road race and to take a page out of the, the book of the old Red Bull Road Rage. Ooh, 2005, yeah. I went to that race. They staged it in Tuna Canyon outside of Malibu and they had a downhill time trial as well as like a four cross. And here's what they did. <laughs> they closed the road. They put padding everywhere. Everyone wore full face helmet, tons of like safety gear. No one was going to like kill themselves. They put pads everywhere. Oh, but it was yeah. it was just like gate went down and it was full on Rubens race and four, four cross down a windy <laughs> road. And so oh, that's what I want to see. Man, that's... With GoPros everywhere. <laughs> GoPro would And make drones. Make just it. so yeah. many drones. Be perfect. Be perfect. Tall all the drones. Well, hey, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitordegroup.com. We'll also post the links to the stories we talked about today on VeloNews.com. Subscribe to the VeloNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. The VeloNews podcast is produced by VeloNews, which is owned by the competitor group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the VeloNews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Party Classic. Soul drops. Soul drops.